we are starting a new series called The Holy Spirit. Now, we toiled on this title. You know, it was, um, there was a lot of creativity and juice that kind of went into finding this title. And then some genius had the, had the idea, like, what if we called it The Holy Spirit? And so that is what we are calling this series. The reason we are calling this series The Holy Spirit is because we are going to talk about, you guessed it, the Holy Spirit. And uh, so over the next number of weeks as we lead into the spring, into Easter, and, and I'm excited for Easter this year. It's going to be a great, great time. And just this whole year is going to be amazing. But um, the goal is that we would understand the person of the Holy Spirit so that we can know the presence of the Holy Spirit that we might experience the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can see the purpose of the Holy Spirit at work, meaning the fruit of the Spirit. But many of you and I alike tend to jump straight to the gifts or to the fruit because that is what we can see or there's a little bit more of a tacticalness to it and a a tangibility, but it's a lot harder to put our finger on who is he and what does he do? And what is he here for? And what does it mean for my life? And so we're going to talk about that. And if you're like me, you grew up in, in, a, in an environment maybe around, you know, I, I, would, I would venture to say that most of us, whether or not we grew up in church or what church tradition we might have grown up if we grew up in church, but most of us, whether in or out of the church, have had some relationship to the Holy Spirit. And part of that is what you've heard or what you've seen or what you're triggered by or like I grew up in a whack charismatic environment or I grew up in a place where it was like if you said the Holy Spirit, you were kicked out because we were afraid to even talk about it. I don't know if anyone's ever read the Jungle Book, but they call call this, uh, they fought fire, they call it the... the, uh, It was like the red burn or something like that because they're afraid to like talk about it. They're afraid to to acknowledge it for what it is. It's fire. We're afraid to engage the Holy Spirit because we think that it means all of these different things. So what we do is we we associate it with the, the negativity that we've seen play out in churches or play out in our own lives or play out in people or people go whack with their theology. We've seen the Holy Spirit manipulated. Some of you probably have. Used for personal gain. You've seen the Holy Spirit be all about what it can get the person who's using the Holy Spirit as if you can use him. And so we see this and we see, or even worse, that he's been forgotten entirely. And in many of our churches today, if we're being honest, part of the reason we need to address this today is because the Holy Spirit has largely been forgotten in many churches. He's been left to the dust. Oh, Holy Spirit, you're fine. I'm good with Jesus. And I'm good with Father because I can kind of define and put in boxes. But Holy Spirit, I'm not quite sure what to do with it. So I would rather ignore it entirely. And friends, can I say that when you manipulate the Spirit, think that he's all about you, it is just as bad as if you forget him entirely. Neither of them are the answer. We need the Holy Spirit. Because just as much as there's been weird and bad, there's been good. Oh, we'll talk about it today. The Holy Spirit has been active. And not only did he, but he still is. You might have heard the term before cessationism. And cessationism being that the gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit has ceased. 
It ceased with the apostles. It was done. It was for that time. Now we have the scriptures. Theologically, we as a church would believe that the gifts have not ceased, but are still active today. Are you with me today? The Holy Spirit is still working still moving, still healing, still restoring, still reuniting, still reviving, still renewing, still healing, still saving, and still working. Can I get an amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit is not dead. He is alive, and he is working in our midst. And today I want to talk from this doctrinal understanding, not so much a One particular text, we'll read a few verses and we'll sprinkle some more in. And I said this to the first service, if at least 10 people email me, taylor at reallifechurch.com, I will send you the entirety of my notes because there are a lot of scriptures that I will not read. There are some that I will reference, but there are a lot. And I will not pretend like I came up with all of them. I used books to do it, but um, there's a lot of content and I'm gonna do my best to not make this so contenty that it goes over our heads and is not useful for us. We want it to be useful. So you can email me. But I, don't, I, don't want, I want to speak from this doctrinal understanding more than just from one text because life will flow out of this understanding. I will not apologize to say that how you see the Holy Spirit will dictate how you live the rest of your life. A.W. Tozer said, What we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what comes to your mind when you think about God, or in this case, when you think about the Holy Spirit, that is actually the most important thing about you. That's a big statement, but I believe it is true. So, as I sit on a stool today, to sound more intellectual than I actually am, The goal of this series and what we're going to talk about today is that the Holy Spirit would be seen and known for who he is, not who we want him to be, not who you've heard him to be. Now, some of you, your tendency is to go wackadoodle. You probably need to get some people around you who are really uptight. Some of you, your tendency is to be really uptight, and when you hear Holy Spirit, you close your arms and your heart because you don't want to have your theology messed with. You need to get around someone who likes to run in circles during worship. Now, both y'all need each other, and all of you are corruptible. So let's just, we're all on the same playing field here, but the Holy Spirit, if he were in the room, wait, he is would say to you, let me reveal myself the way I want to be known, and you get to come under that. Okay? So, we all get to come under that and leave our preconceptions and our ideas and our hang-ups at the door, because that's what you do when you come into church. So, we want to know him for who he is. Why? Because a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit, get this, will lead to a proper relationship to the Holy Spirit. A proper understanding of him will lead to a proper relationship with him, and the proper understanding and relationship with him will create a container for the proper works of the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life. So if I want to see a work of the Holy Spirit, I need to first understand who he is. 
If I want to have a proper relationship with Noel, it, it is predicated on me understanding who she is. And any arguments that we get in, which is rare, rare, is because she forgot to understand me. <laughs> That's once in a while. What is more often <laughs> is when she's like, you should have known this. Yeah. What is it? I, I forgot who she was in a sense. And because of that, I approached her improperly, right? Said this a few weeks back. You cannot separate God's presence from his priorities. For the sake of this conversation, you can't separate um, the, 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 the presence and the working of God from what he, how he wants to reveal himself. So we don't get to say, God, I wish you would have shown up differently. He's like, I don't care. I showed up how I want to show up. So the proper understanding of the Holy Spirit leads to a proper relationship to the Holy Spirit, which leads to the ability to contain or steward the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do. And that I would imagine many of us would raise our hands and say, I want to see that work in our world, in our society, in our schools, in our churches, in our region, in my life, in my family, in my relationships. I want to see that work. Well, guess what? If you have a proper relationship to the Holy Spirit from an understanding of who he is, that becomes a container so that when he pours his spirit out, it's not filtering through all of the holes of your misunderstandings of who he is. Genesis 1 and verse 1 and then we're going to, you can put your finger in John 16. Actually, just turn there, John 16. I'm going to read Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. The scriptures are on the screen. I would encourage you to write them down. If you don't take notes, can I admonish you? Is that the right word? Can I encourage you today? Become a note taker. Set an, if you're older, set an example for our young people. Young people, you know what you're doing. Set an example for those of us who think we've already arrived. Start taking notes. It's good for you. Sure, use your phone, but get a notepad. Make it something that's personal. Just, that was a bonus for you. Genesis 1, in the beginning, sorry, I'm gonna sit all the way on the stool. Okay. Taylor, stop it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and the darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The spirit hovered over the deep. The spirit of God active all the way back at the beginning. Now, John 16. What will you'll see if you read the book of John, I love John. Um, you, you see this, this similar kind of cadence. Uh, the, the, I'm leaving, but there's a helper coming. I'm leaving, there's an advocate coming. I'm leaving, but the spirit is coming. I'm leaving, I'm leaving, but I'm not really leaving. Like I'm going, but I'm gonna still be here. And he's planting these seeds. And this is one of the accounts of this, similar to in John 14 and in 15. But here in John 16, verse eight, it says, very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go the, away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. Other translations say, convict the world of sin. He will prove the world to be wrong. Gosh, that's harsh. Holy Spirit is nice and he's mean too. 
prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, but it's more than you can bear right now. But when he, the spirit of truth, note that, the spirit of truth comes. Now notice also that he's using personal language here. He, not it. We'll get to it. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. Rather, he will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. How many of you want to know what's yet to come? How many of you want to have a sense of what God's doing on the earth? Okay. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why it is said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Now, there's a lot there, and we're still going to bounce around, so get used to it. But I want to speak on this idea for the next few minutes. And I need to do it fast, so write. I encourage you to take notes. And this title, it's brilliant. It's going to blow your mind. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not God. The Holy Spirit is God. I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be God as if he needs an invitation and to speak to us. So would you bow your heads and we close your eyes? Would you agree with me as we pray? Holy Spirit, we say, come. We say, reveal yourself. And we say, open our eyes that we might see you for not who we thought you were. And even as the prophets in the Old Testament would say, before my ears, Lord, had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen. God, may our eyes See the goodness of you by your Holy Spirit. God, would you reveal yourself? Would you speak to us? And God, let us not leave with bigger heads, but hearts that are further open to your work in our lives, that you may be glorified in everything that we say and do. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. amen. So my goal today is to tackle four things, four things, okay? And these four things are who the Holy Spirit is not, who the Holy Spirit is, what he does, and why it matters. Okay? You ready? You're not. I'll get off the stool in just a few minutes. Okay? But who the Holy Spirit is not, who the Holy Spirit is, what he does, and why it matters. Not only why it matters to you, but why it matters to us, okay? So, number one, who is the Holy Spirit not? And I wrote three, I got hundreds, but I'm gonna write three. The Holy Spirit is not, number one, he is not your peer. He's not your buddy. He's not your co-equal, like 50-50 equity partners, He's not on the same playing field as you and I. He is God, as my title suggests, and I am not. He is God, you are not. We are not God. Now, 
Here's the great thing about the God of the universe revealed through the Holy Spirit, that he actually is your friend. He's your helper. He walks with you. He doesn't give up on you. He doesn't quit on you. He's near you. He's in you. He's around you. He loves you, but he's not your peer. And you and I get it mixed up when we try to put God in the back seat and we try and sit in the front. The other day I got in my van, started it up, put the kids in there, and I put Jude in his car seat, his little uh, seat in the, in the middle. And uh, I ran in to like think, I was, I was gonna go grab something inside real quick. Garage was open, just right on the inside of the door where a laundry room is. And so I start to run and I just think, Jude's not buckled in yet. I turn around and he's climbing into the front seat. And you know what? I love my son. And you know what? He is welcome in my van. However, he is not welcome in the front seat. He's not welcome. Not only that, he would die if he sat in the front seat and tried to engineer this thing. Can I tell you? Be freed this morning. You're not driving this thing. God is the one who is God, not me. He's not my peer. And we got to take ourselves out of peer role. Now, we say this here often, and I believe it, and I will say it again. We, in our work, as we live out life, is to partner with God for the glory of God on the earth. So you do partner, but you don't see yourself as an equal partner so much as you are coming under the lordship of God. And in that space, he's leading, guiding, driving, helping, walking with you, with you. Like you hear what I'm saying? So he's not your peer, but you can partner with God when you understand your role in relationship to him. Okay? So he's not your peer. He's not my peer. But second, he's not your pleasure giver. He is not the purveyor of our pleasure where his first and foremost goal is to be a genie for us that what we want and what we want to feel that he exists now to serve that. He does not. And I was here on Sunday night. I don't know if you were here on Sunday night. If not, why? It was incredible. I enjoyed the presence of God. At one point I got on my knees. I don't even, I don't do that. And I was like, God, your presence is heavy. It's thick. It's here. Like, wow. This is cool. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. It was awesome. God was moving. God was speaking. There were testimonies shared. There were words given. There were people praying over people. It was awesome. And you know what? I left there on a high and I went to Taco Bell. And I got, I said two, but I got three Doritos Locos Tacos. And God was glorified right there. Don't, don't look at me like that. I had that idea in eighth grade. I just want to say it. What if Doritos were the shell? It's true. But if I'm not careful, I'll see God as the means for me to feel that. And guess what I'll do is when I don't feel it, I'll start looking for another church because we just, we cut worship off too soon. We're too short. We don't do this. We don't do that. And you know what, friends? I'm all for it. Let's not cut stuff. Let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. But can you be honest? You're not the one in charge of him. So stop treating him like he's your genie and that you need to feel something in your soul when you're in worship so that you leave confirmed. No, 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 no. He's not your peer and he is not your genie. His, his pleasure 
Like he gets pleasure, of course, when you get pleasure, but he gets pleasure when he gets glory in spite of what you feel. So friends, God is not the purveyor of our pleasure where that is his number one primary goal. And friends, I say that in tandem with the reality that you ought to enjoy the presence of God. It is not a duty only. Sometimes it feels that way, but my goodness, I love the presence of the Holy Spirit. I love it. I love being able to worship in my car and pray. I love being able to sit in my office and just sense the the goodness of God. I, I love it. I love reading the scriptures and the Holy Spirit brings something to light and I enjoy it. Absolutely. But friends, your enjoyment and the feeling on the external is not God's primary concern. So he's not your peer. He's not your pleasure giver. And he is not an idea, essence, or attribute. He is not merely an essence, a sense, an it, nor is he one of many of his attributes. And we could spend hours talking about the attributes that scripture gives to the Holy Spirit, that it, de- it describes the Holy Spirit this way or that way. We could talk about those, but he is not those in and of itself, right? A while ago, I, um, Noel and I, Noel's our worship pastor and um, you know, we, we used to be on the worship team together in high school before we ever dated. And one of the things, of course, that I loved about her, she sang, she got a beautiful voice, wrote songs and all of the things. And, you know, we're crushing on each other, in, in, you know, in that time. And, and um, you know, absolutely. If you were to say, if, if Tanner, if you were to say, hey, Taylor, is one of the things that you love about Noelle that she sings? I'd say, of course, dude, love, love, love it, love it. Love that Noelle sings. She writes songs. We got some new songs coming out too, BT Dubs, and they're incredible. And so that our team put together and just getting started. So, um, but I remember a couple of years ago, someone someone came up to me, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, your wife is so amazing." I'm like, "I know, isn't she just the best? She is." She's like, "Oh my gosh, her voice is just incredible." I'm like, "I know." It's just. Incredible. It is, right? And she's like, does she just sing to you all day when you're at home? <laughs> Did she serenade you on your honeymoon? <laughs> no! <laughs> that would be weird. You know that Noelle is also a mom. And she's a wife. And she's a daughter. And she drives cars. And she eats food and makes it too. And she does things and has a job and says words. And there's more than her singing. And as much as I love her singing, it is not the sole reason as to why I am with her. It's not, it's funny that we tend to look at the Holy Spirit. We see something that we like about him and we now equate his relationship to us for doing that one thing. And the Holy Spirit, like I said, wants to be known for who he is, not for that one experience that you get to have with him. And he wants those experiences. I mean, we want date nights, right? We have date nights. But sometimes date night isn't date night. Sometimes it is we're watching a couple episodes of a show sitting on the couch. Sometimes it is we're just chilling and I'd rather be out on a date, but we are home with the kids and we're doing bath time. And that is glorious. 
when I understand it in scope. Now, I would tell some of you, if you never went on a date, then you're missing out on an aspect of the relationship that you need. If you never have an experience with the Holy Spirit, you're missing out on an important aspect of how God wants to relate to you. But it is not the only way that he wants to relate to you. Sometimes experiences, I read the word, I heard a truth, the Holy Spirit revealed it to my heart, I closed my Bible and I go throughout my day and that was an experience. And sometimes I'm driving and he downloads something to me without even, I wasn't even thinking about it and I'm like, I saw a sign and a person driving and somehow it triggered this one reality and I can't help but stop to write it down because I don't want to forget what he just revealed to me. And sometimes... It's that. And sometimes it's not. But if you and I are not intentional and careful, we will find that the Holy Spirit is boxed into only one kind of experience. And I'll say, if you don't want to go on a date with me, then I don't want to spend time with you. And some of us, all we do is make out with the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's quite literally, if I could be crass, it's a little bit of a sexual relationship. That's how you treat it. It's transactional. And the Holy Spirit is like, I am not somebody that you get to manipulate. I am a whole person. In fact, I'm the third person of the Godhead. So you better start treating me like I'm God, not like I'm somebody who gives you pleasure. Are you with me today? We are not called to make out with the Holy Spirit. We are called to a holistic relationship with the Holy Spirit from an understanding of who he is. And we grieve the Holy Spirit when we limit it to what he can do and what he can do for us. So, moving on. Who the Holy Spirit is not, he's not your peer, not your purveyor of pleasure, but you know who he is? Get ready. He is God. You're welcome. Okay, we're done. This is the primary point that I want to make today. And if you leave with nothing else in your brain, leave with this. The Holy Spirit is God. The reason that this is so essential is not because we get to do anything with it. It's quite counterintuitive to just sit with the reality that the Holy Spirit is God. And the reason that it is important is because if we move past it or minimize it, then we end up putting ourselves in the place that God was meant to be, and he becomes our servant. And you and I do not want that because we are not worthy of it. We can't carry that weight. Only the Holy Spirit can. So we need to understand above everything else, everything umbrellas under this, that the Holy Spirit is God. Kevin Connor, late theologian, says it this way. The Holy Spirit is the third divine person of the eternal Godhead, co-equal and co-eternal and co-existent with the Father and the Son. In his, it is his ministry to convict and to convert humanity's will. That's wild. His mission is to convert, to convict and to convert my will as to reveal the Son and the Father to the believer. Since the Lord Jesus Christ was glorified, the Holy Spirit in all his glorious operations has been working through all who believe on the Father through the Son. This is why the present era is known as the age of the Holy Spirit. So why can I today and why can you confidently say that the Holy Spirit is God? I'm going to give you a few reasons and I'm going to rush through them and then I'm going to get off my stool and I'll preach at you for five seconds. Number one, 
is this. Here's why you can confidently say it. It's because he is referred to in scripture and by Jesus using personal language as God. So he's referred to as God with personal language, not only in scripture, but by Jesus himself. John 14, 16, you can write it down. Acts 5, 3 through 4, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6. There's a lot of verse and a lot of things that would all pad around this idea that points to the Holy Spirit having God attributes. Okay, and we'll get to that. Even John 14, 16, Jesus referring to the Holy Spirit coming soon says, I'm gonna send you the advocate. He's gonna be with you forever, forever. Key word there, the spirit of truth. The, word can, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees nor does it know him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So I love that it's not an it. It's not, a, not just a generic title, but God specifically makes sure that we as the readers of the scripture understand that it is a personal uh, identifier, that he uses people, words, and pronouns, that it's actually God is a person, not a human, as if he's our peer, but he is a person, and he expresses himself as such. So he's referred to as God with personal language, but second, and this, this goes alongside it, that he has eternal attributes. This is key. Because you and I need to understand that we are not omniscient. We are not omnipresent. In fact, I read something recently that said it is impossible to multitask. I used to consider myself a decent multitasker. I can brush my teeth and walk around my room at the same time. But it's funny, I read it the other morning, I'm brushing my teeth, and I tried to plug in the blow dryer at the same time. I had to stop can't multitask. Now you might say, no, that's not true. No, but even down to the micro things, it's like we transition back and forth to little things because at the end of the day, we are not everywhere. We can only do one thing at once. This is why it is key that we see in scripture that God, the Holy Spirit has eternal attributes. He is omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. Omnipotent meaning all powerful, Luke 135. He will come on you with all the power of the most high. Who can come on you with the power of the most high? The most high, the Holy Spirit. He will come on you with the power of the most high, omniscient, all-knowing. Romans 8, 26 and 27. The spirit knows all of our things. And what does he do? He knows your heart, knows your intentions, knows your issues. And what does he do? He intercedes to God on your behalf. How cool is that? We're gonna talk about that next week. He's omniscient, he's all-knowing. And he is omnipresent, meaning present everywhere and always. Psalm 139, seven through 10. Now there are many instances in scripture where the attributes that are given to God who is eternal same yesterday today and forever are given to the Holy Spirit which is why we can confidently say that he is God but third or yeah third he has been not only does he have personal language he's referred to as God not only does he have eternal attributes but third he is present and has been present throughout the ages you see this all the way back right He was present with the Father and the Son at creation. Let us, what does he say? Let us, let us, let us. God is not a peer with another. 
unless we understand the doctrine of the Trinity, which we don't have time to like, uh, like spend all this time on the Trinity itself, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see them present right at the beginning. It didn't start after Jesus. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were present together upon creation. What do we see? The Spirit, what did he do? He hovered over the waters of the deep. There was nothing, and he created from that place. He, he, he hovered over the depths. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. You see that in the inspiration of the canon, the scriptures that you and I hold today, that the Holy Spirit inspired those. And Jesus would affirm as such. You see in the New Testament that the Spirit was present at Jesus' conception, at his life, even into his death and his resurrection. The Holy Spirit was present the whole time. Luke 135, he's born of the Spirit. Uh, Matthew 316, the Spirit descended at Jesus' baptism. You've got the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, where Jesus in that moment affirms the Trinity again. So not only at the creation story, but then in the New Testament, as Jesus is saying, go make disciples, baptizing in them, them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the the Father, the Son, and the So what is he affirming there? That the Holy Spirit there is God. You wouldn't baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and John the Baptist. It's not Father, Son, and Paul. Not Father, Son, and Taylor. It's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what is Jesus affirming? What we know to be true, that the Holy Spirit is God. And not only was he present at creation, not only was he present throughout the Old and the New Testament, and through every area of of church history, but he is present and alive and active in the church and in the life of the believer today. How cool is that? That the same spirit, get this, this is wild. The same spirit that raised Christ from the literal dead is alive in this physical room right now. I don't know if you caught that, the same spirit that has been work at work since creation and before it and is eternal and has worked in the life and in the midst of every human being ever and raised Christ from the dead and heals and saves and redeems is alive in this room. He is not far. He's not distant. He is here right now as we speak. And not only is he here, he is here. He dwells in me. Romans says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living and active in you. And he's still moving around in the world. So what? He's referred to as God. He has eternal attributes. He's present through the ages. And lastly, why I'm confident to say that the Holy Spirit is God is lastly, because he is holy. He is holy. Meaning he is the only one who can do what he does. And I take solace in that because I get to take off the mantle. I got a word recently. Someone said, don't ever put somebody else's mantle on. No, don't put someone else's armor on. You know what you ought not to do is try and wear what only God can wear. Try and be what only God can be. It is exhausting and it will leave you dead. So don't do it. Don't play God. Don't be in control of this thing. Understand that the Holy Spirit is God and he is working and you don't have to do his job. He's holy and he calls us to be holy. Number three, 
What does the Holy Spirit do? Romans 8, 26. I'll invite the band to come forward as we get ready to close. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit helps you in your weakness? Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit helps you in your weakness? Aren't you glad that you aren't doing this thing on your own? But in the same way, I'll move my stool. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and we do not know what we ought to even pray for. You ever found yourself in that place? I need to pray, I wanna pray, but I don't wanna pray, and I don't know what to pray for. Some of you are like, every single morning, you're in good company. But with the Spirit, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Wow. With this, get this, get this. He intercedes for us. Get this, you have to get this. You need to know this about God. The Spirit himself intercedes, get this, for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, you know this one, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of God, his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So this holy, all-knowing, eternal God, what does he do? He calls, convicts, coaches, and changes us. I don't have time to go through all four very much, but here's what he does. He calls you. Friends, if you're under the sound of my voice today, if you're listening to the podcast later, and this is the one that we choose to use for iTunes, you can know that right now by you listening to it is a reminder that the Holy Spirit is calling out to you and he's inviting you to himself. He calls. Revelation 22, all the way to the end. And I'll paraphrase, the Spirit of God and the Bride of Christ throughout the ages have been echoing the same thing. Are you thirsty? Are you searching? Are you broken? Are you tired? Are you waiting? Are you looking? Come, receive the free gift of the water of life. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What has he been saying since the beginning? Come to me. Are you weary? Are you burdened? You broken? Have you failed? Did you fail yesterday? Are you lying? Are you broken? Come to me. Don't go make yourself better. Don't go try and improve this thing. Come to me. And when you come to me, here's what he'll do. He'll call you and then he will convict you. But there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. And conviction will keep your eyes and your focus on conforming to the way of God, not trying to perform your way into better. Condemnation will make you think more about yourself and how awful you are or how great you are. And it will leave you empty. So what will he do? 
He'll do what John 16 says. When he comes, he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you and I into all truth. When the Holy Spirit is our God, his work, his work will include, and this is the challenge for you and I, will include the continual forming and shaping of us to his will. The frustrating thing about this life in following Jesus is that he has an opinion about how I live and he's right. Isn't that funny? I I heard it said, I, I think it was AJ Swoboda said, you have never spent time in prayer and left God more informed. put you at ease, friends, because he searches your heart and he will convict you. Why? Because he's calling you to convict you, to bring him under his leadership. This is the third thing. He'll coach you. And a good coacher is a good is a good uh, reminder. It's a, a good teacher and a good reminder. And I use coach because it starts with a C and I got four of them. That was funny. Romans 8. 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. John 14, 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. So what does the Holy Spirit want to do in your life? He wants to call you. He's going to convict you. He's going to conform you into the way that he wants to as a coach, as a teacher, as an authority over you. That reminds me of, you know, when you watch, you know, we'll watch the Super Bowl next week there's inevitably gonna be an interception or a, a broken down play. And you know what the coach is gonna do? Or the captain of the team is gonna go up to the players. He's, he's gonna, hey man, hey, let's move past it. We still got a game to win. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Sometimes he's like, hey, you broke that one down. You're being selfish. You didn't listen to me, but let's move forward because we're still in this thing, right? So what God will do is in his coaching, he'll call you. He'll call you. He'll convict you. And he'll walk you through that in his coaching. But lastly, so that he can change you. And this is what I love. Is that his goal, my final point for this day. Why does it matter? Because the Holy Spirit's primary aim is not against what culture says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to critique culture for a moment. God's aim is not to make you the best you. You don't need to leave here saying, I need to be better me. Your primary goal is not to do better, to say better, to speak better, to walk better, to give better, to have more compassion, to do anything better. The primary aim of this life, every breath that you breathe, is to receive the call from the Holy Spirit that he would take you under his leadership, that he would mold and shape you into the image of his son. That's it. That is it. What is God's primary aim for you, friend? Young, old, white, black, ugly, beautiful, short, tall, 
wise, unwise, new to this thing, been in it for a long time. God's aim for you and I is all the same. We are on the exact same ground. His goal is to take you and say, I am shaping you into the image of my son. And when I shape you, you become more compassionate. You become more generous. You become more spirit-led. You become more aware. You become more kind. You become more open. You become more good. But that is not your goal. Jesus is the goal. So why does the Holy Spirit get you? Because he wants to make you into the image of his son. That is his primary aim, to make you more like Jesus and friends. This has been his goal all along. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. For God, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Why? So that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Would you stand with me? Put my chapstick on. Get you out of here in a minute. Today, step one, acknowledge who he is. This is the most important thing you'll ever do. Most important thing you'll ever do. An evangelist once said, he's kind of a eccentric guy, but I loved it. He said, every morning when I get up, I say, good morning, Holy Spirits. First things that come out of my mouth. Now, I've never been near this particular evangelist in the morning. I don't know if he was lying or telling the truth, but here's what I know. There's something about that that reminds you of the most important thing about you. Why? Because as A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what you think of when you think about God. So what do we do in the morning, at night? Good evening, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, as I'm driving. Holy Spirit, show up as I drive. As I'm dropping my kid off, God, give me an opportunity. You, you are God, you're in charge. God, would you lead me? God, would you drive me? God, would you speak to me? Holy Spirit, I'm welcoming you in this place. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Not only in the atmosphere of the room, but the atmosphere of my heart. Holy Spirit, you are God. I am not. So I give you preeminence. I give you leadership. I give you front and center. You are the one leading me. So Holy Spirit, I recognize you today and tomorrow I'm going to need to do it again. What do we need to do? Acknowledge God. Some of you, this is the best thing that you can do today is as you close your eyes in a moment, you just say, God, Holy Spirit, I acknowledge you here. Why do you pray before a meal? Sometimes we brush past it, but we're acknowledging God, just saying, God, we're breathing, we're eating. Thanks. Today, let's acknowledge God for who he is. Today, let's acknowledge the work he's been doing. And let me encourage you here. I look around and I see some people with broken stories. The Holy Spirit's been working in your life more than you know been working in my brother's life, even in spite of some choices. He's been working in your parents' life, even in spite of the fact that they're not standing here just yet. He's been working. Why do we know this? Because he worked at the beginning of creation. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's still at work today in your life. So what do we do? We acknowledge who he is. 
and we acknowledge what he's been doing. Oh God, I didn't realize it, but you were teaching me there. I acknowledge you. But lastly, and the most perhaps important today is that we'd welcome him, not only acknowledge him and walk by, but welcome him as we walk in step with him every day. Would you lift your hands and close your eyes all over the room? Maybe today you need to acknowledge the Holy Spirit. Would you do that right now? In fact, I want you to repeat after me. Say, dear Holy Spirit, I acknowledge you as Lord and I give you leadership in my life. I am not God. Thank you that you are. Holy Spirit, thank you for the work you've been doing in my life. Thank you for the work that you've been doing in my friend's life, in my family's. In fact, would you do this? If you got somebody who you, you don't see it, but you need to know that the Holy Spirit's doing a work in their life, would you stand in the gap for them right now? Can we intercede for just 30 seconds? Would you raise your hand up real high? If you got someone in your life that you need the Holy Spirit to do a work in, come on, I hope that's most of us right now. Would you just take 10 seconds and out loud just begin to say, God, I know that you're working in their life. God, I know that when they're driving to work tomorrow, something's gonna happen where you bring a thought to their mind. God, you're drawing them in. God, I thank you that even in the spite of their addiction, their choices, their struggles, God, that you have not let go. You've not taken your hand off of their life in Jesus' name. And lastly, Holy Spirit, would you repeat it one more time? Holy Spirit, I welcome you in my life and I welcome you in my future. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen. Come on, are we thankful for the Holy Spirit?